0: Welcome back to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, where we're centralizing the narratives of the marginalized in Mormonism with a healthy dose of theology and realness.
1: Yeah, welcome back. I loved conference. It was just such an uplift to my spirit and a massage for my soul. Yes, sir. Bars.
0: It is uh, the weekend after conference, and uh, we're definitely going to be talking about it. I'm excited to discuss both the events and the news, as well as some of uh, my favorite talks from conference. With that, Derek, how do you feel about jumping straight into these announcements and news from conference? Yeah,
1: a lot of exciting changes. Indeed. So
0: let's just start from the top of it here. Okay, so obviously last week we talked about... the, witness, the changes of the witnessing mm. of ordinances, including baptisms performed in the chapels and temples, they did reiterate that at conference. So in case you missed that news last week, that is kind of a big deal. They announced uh, this past Wednesday, and that is that any baptized member of the church may serve as a witness of the baptism of a living person. And that change pertains to all baptisms outside the temple as well also a proxy baptism for a deceased person may be witnessed by anyone holding a current temple recommend including limited use temple recommend and any endowed member with a current temple recommend may serve as a witness uh, to sealing ordinances living and proxy so that was the change announced last wednesday they did reiterate that in conference this past weekend Uh, second big deal of news happened during the Women's Session of Conference, which was the announcement of eight new temples.
1: Eight new temples.
0: Big deal. So those temples are going to be in Freetown, Sierra Leone, Orem, Utah, which, funny enough, they knew nothing about. I don't know if you saw that news. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) I think we posted that to our Facebook or our Instagram, but it's really funny. The city of Orem announced that they know nothing about this temple being built in Orem. (laughs) So I don't know how the church is going to navigate that, but I'm pretty sure they're going to get their way with the temple.
1: Yeah, they probably already own the land and whatever. Probably.
0: So that's uh, that's the two. Freetown, Sierra Leone, Orem, Utah. Also, Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. Bentonville, Arkansas. Bacolod, Philippines. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I looked it up before I got here. McAllen, Texas. Coban, Guatemala. And Taylorsville, Utah. So eight new temples. That's a big deal. Also, Changes announced to strength of youth, which is what they're calling the young men, young women's program now, I guess, and there are a lot of changes here. So, first one that they announced was that the responsibility of the bishop as president of the Aaronic Priesthood is being emphasized in accordance with Doctrine and Covenants one oh seven fifteen, which means that young men's presidencies in the local congregations are going to be discontinued, so that bishops can spend more time with the youth. Also young women presidents now report to and counsel directly with uh, the bishop in you know the different meetings and all that other stuff young women have a new theme which is pretty powerful i don't know if you guys got to uh, have a look at that but the language is definitely a lot more encouraging i i definitely like the uh, heavenly parents thing as opposed to heavenly father but yeah you guys can read that we'll put a link to that in the show notes The number of young women classes in a ward can vary based on local needs, so it's no longer going to be sorted based on age group. It's just going to vary based on the needs. Young women classes are now going to be called young women instead of the old names Beehive, Miami, Maid, and Laurel, which, again, were sorted by age group. And now at all levels of church governance, Relief Society, Young Women, Young Men, Primary, and Sunday School are going to be referred to as organizations instead of auxiliaries. And those who lead these organizations are going to be referred to as general officers at the highest level or just officers and uh, like stake officers and ward officers at the local level instead of stake auxiliaries and ward auxiliaries. And I think that is everything for the uh, for the youth program. Also, something that came out was Changes in Temple Recommend Interview Questions, and we can talk about that a little bit in a second, but they also came out two days ago with New Safety Guidelines for Active Shooter Situations. I don't know if you saw that, Derek, or if you have any strong feelings about it, but uh, you know, just a little sad, just kind of, this is where we are as a society now, we have guidelines official guidelines from the church of how to respond to active shooter situations and there's nothing terribly different about how most companies respond to it it's still run hide and fight you know those standard things Uh, that's what they teach like my dojo does active shooter seminars twice a year and we basically teach more or less the same thing in addition to you know how to bandage people up in such situations, but yeah, the church uh did release that about two days ago. You can find that in at least Deseret news, I think, and also on the church's website so uh Derek, like I said, there were those changes to the uh to the temple recommend interview questions. Do you have any
1: comments about that? There's a lot of confusion as to what this means, and uh-huh. some people are wondering. Is this a tightening of the the standards, is it, or is it sort of a r- relaxing? And I really think it's a clarifying. It's sort of clarifying what the intent was supposed to be. Okay. Like the question about apostasy originally was something like, do you support, agree with, or affiliate with any individuals or groups mm-hmm. with teachings contrary to those of the church? Now that loop is closed, by it's not about whether you it's not guilty by association anymore. Right, it's now, right. do you, uh, do you support any, any teachings contrary to the church? Which I right. think is, is clarifying the intent because a lot of people were wondering like if I'm a registered Democrat or if I'm, you know, giving money to this charity or if I'm like, am I, w- and I really think to step back and look at this, one of the best ways of answering the questions about the temple recommend is to look at the life of our general authorities. yeah, They feel totally comfortable. Partnering with NAACP. And they feel. partner uh, Comfortable giving money to. Affirmation you know if you look at what they're doing. People you can't. Construe that affiliate clause. Narrowly because people were trying to say. Any type of interaction with anyone. That's teaching something different. When you look at it. With the GAs they partner with people all the time. That's not forbidden right right and i think that should help us relax and now they've completely closed that loop by saying and no it's not about who you affiliate with anymore it's about what you are personally doing are you trying to uh to oppose and attack the church and so i think that's a helpful change now some people thought that was a strict uh, making it stricter uh-huh. by policing people's private thoughts but i don't think it's that's not how i interpret it
0: I did notice that. I did notice that. And I admit I had that worry myself. Like, my, I'm renewing my Temple Recommend next month. And uh, I don't know how that question is going to go. I know it's kind of playing Bishop Rick roulette with that question a little bit because we did have uh, one of our listeners reach out to us and say that this question kept her from being able to renew her Temple Recommend not too long ago. But I know that answering this same question, honestly, for me, did not prevent me from getting a temple recommend, not you know with my bishop, not from a member of the stake presidency, mm-hmm. and perhaps I just chalk that up to my luck of the draw with our leadership out here. I don't know. Like I really don't know how people are going to be interpreting this question, but I know a lot of people who support or at least um, oppose the general policies affecting members of the LGBTQ community. Different leaders are going to interpret that support in different ways. And I do admit that I fear some people are not going to be able to have full fellowship with the church because of how they feel about those issues.
1: Yeah. And let me just take a a moment to talk about sort of my approach to this, because a lot of people might assume that I uh, am not in agreement with the teachings of the church, but I am. And because a lot of what I'm saying is, in a sense, hypothetical. Okay. Like... My position is that if the prophet were to present a revelation that, you know, that made LGBT people fully e- equal in the church, then I would accept it. And okay. that is a perfectly orthodox position. I'm not out there I can't change it myself, right? So I'm not doing that. So my position is fully orthodox. It's if the prophet gives us revelation then I will accept it. And I think that's how, how, how more orthodox can you be than following the prophet? That's how I phrase it. It's, it's a hypothetical. And so that's how I full, feel fully comfortable saying I agree with, with the church. Now let's talk a little bit about this word, the phrase general authority because that has a lot of weight in, in the world of the church.
0: Well, Derek, with respect, I got to like kind of come back to that real quick yeah. because, you know, the question that, that kind of begs is how do you reconcile current policy with your current position like it's one thing if the if the church came out and said yeah we are going to implement this policy that allows people in that community full fellowship but how do you reconcile that with now like if you had to do your temple recommend interview like today like how's that going well I'm
1: living the standards of the church now right so I think the way that I see it I don't think that that having a different perspective counts as disagreement for the purpose of this question. So you don't view
0: that as contrarian
1: No because okay I'm not I really think the intent of this question historically was to weed out people who were affiliated with polygamous groups uh-huh. um, or other people who are actually trying to destroy the church. I'm not trying to destroy the church okay I'm trying to continue to build it up right, right? And given that that's how I th- interpret the spirit of the question, I'm in agreement with the church. Gotcha. Right? The church is is one body with many members with different functioning parts. And I'm functioning on this part. Right? So we're not all doing the same thing. We're not all saying the same thing, just like Paul's image of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. But that's how I interpret the word agree. Right. And I don't don't think that's sort of cheating the system. I really think it is the most faithful thing to the system because I love this church. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, it's like the people who 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 say well you don't love america if you're trying to make these changes right but no it's because we love america that we we want it to be better yeah right but, yeah. and i don't think i'm in rebellion or anything like that um but what I was saying about the, the term general authority, yes, I just realized this morning, people take this word authority and, and assume that, oh, that means they know everything and, and they're perfect and they're an authority. Let's talk about the MBTA for just a second. That A in MBTA is authority. For you, those mm. of you not in the Boston area, that's the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. They're the people in charge of our trains and our buses. And yeah, they're an authority. They get a whole bunch of stuff wrong. <laughs> they're yep. slow and overpriced yep. and it's a big mess and there's a whole bunch of delays and it's 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 a nightmare and and there's a lot of stuff That, but i have to admit they're the authority and what that means is i can't go lay my own tracks in the middle of boston right i couldn't get three feet of track down without the cops getting me that's what it means that i accept their authority i'm not out there making my own train Mm -hmm. i am riding the train i'm paying my money to ride the train and it's slow and i complain but I still accept them as the authority because they are literally the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. Okay. And I think that's kind of how I see the general authorities. That doesn't mean that they're no longer human. It doesn't mean that they have magical access to some unlimited body of knowledge at any time they want. Uh-huh. It means that they are humans like me with a calling like me, doing the best we can with what we know. Mm-hmm. And that's the system we're navigating. And I, that's how I approach the... Because it's really, it gets back to, I think it's DNC, is it one, oh dear, 137, that says that people will be judged by the, by the desires of their heart. Okay. I think that's, to me, the key to the answer of this question. What are the desires of your heart? And people yeah. who know me for half a second know that my spirit is where it needs to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the point of the questions. So that said, I still don't think the wording of these questions is perfect.
1: I don't either. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: I just want to put that out there that I do believe and based on that article that you sent prior to, you know, us being here. I do believe that the intent is just to make sure that people are here for the church and, you know, not for themselves or not for Satan or whatever. People are here to truly bring the kingdom of God forth. And I don't feel like being contrarian in that particular way is going to disqualify you from that, which is why I'm totally comfortable with your answer. But I think this mm-hmm. question is still word, worded in a way that people who are contrarian in that particular way would have cause to worry about yeah. their ability to do yeah. their temple recommends.
1: Yeah, that is, that is fair. Okay,
0: that's all I wanted to get out there. And thank you for entertaining my, uh, my, my question on that. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about the temple recommend interview questions?
1: No, other than I think, overall, I think it's a positive step.
0: Okay. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I didn't really expect this change to come forth, but it is certainly a welcome one as to, you know, clarify. I, I like the phrase you used better, just to, what was that phrase you used? To like to clarify
1: cla- the intent. Yes, clarify. Rather than the to intent. loosen or, or uh, make them stricter. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's the phrase. All right. If there's nothing else for that, uh, what other news do you have,
1: Derek? Um,. Let's just mention real briefly uh, the, the shooting that was in Germany over Yom Kippur. Oh ah, yes, the synagogue, right? And I don't know all the details. I don't think that all the details are clarified, but apparently some white supremacist decided to, on the holiest day of the Jewish year, try to attack a synagogue. And I'm not sure exactly what happened, um, that the shooter ended up killing people on the street instead. I don't know huh. exactly what's going on. Okay, but but this gets back to the heart of how we live together as people, um, and we we have to resist anti-Semitism with every peaceful means. Yeah, um, yeah. I just want to name that. All right, and and hold our Jewish siblings in in prayer at this time. Definitely, and we hope you. Uh
0: any of our Jewish listeners had an easy fast this past week. I believe it was the 8th or the ninth that Yom Kippur was on? Yeah. All right, very good. Then let's go ahead and move to the conference talk recap. I already told you who I want to spend a little bit of time on. The, the standouts to me were definitely uh, Sister Aborto, uh, President Oaks, President Nelson, and Elder Johnson mm-hmm. I do want to talk about today. And I would love to start with Sister Aborto, if that's cool with you. Yeah, that was really good. It was a great talk. And I'll just start out with, I think this is the first women's session that I listened to end to end. For whatever reason, I just found myself home alone on a Saturday night. And I knew that you know the women's session was going to be special in some way. So I turned it on, started listening to it. And straight out the gate, she was the first speaker, wasn't she? Straight out the rip, Sister Aborto came up and... Just blew my mind i was grateful that she mentioned mental illness in her introduction i was like okay this is a casual mention of mental illness in the introduction and then she <laughs> and then the said the whole thing <laughs> and then the whole thing ended up being about it like i'll tell you when my ears parked up like in one of her first paragraphs she mentioned uh mental illness but it's when she said the words damaging also damaging is the desensitizing cloud of skepticism that can affect others who have not experienced the challenges of mental illness. That is when I woke all the way up. That's when I knew she was Mm -hmm. going to have the whole talk on mental illness because there is a big stigma, and I would definitely go as far as to say that exists in the church, where there are people who have not experienced mental illness who simply do not validate mental illness or take it as seriously as they ought to, mostly because they haven't experienced it. Like, that exists everywhere, but I do feel like because our church is so much centered on praying away your problems all manner of problems whether it be mental illness Mm -hmm. or physical difficulties or trials just it's all a trial that you can pray away or read your scriptures away and we don't really have a serious enough discussion about mental illness and i feel like her touching upon that skepticism that exists surrounding mental illness was so Mm -hmm. important that's Mm -hmm. when i knew this talk was going to be special was right there so soon after she brought that part up, she brought up our baptismal covenants and said that they basically demand that we become more informed about mental and emotional illnesses to be in a better position to minister to brothers and sisters who struggle with these things. Like we don't have to understand mental illness and all of its complexities but we do have to be able to validate those complexities and validate those things when appropriate. That is what she said. She used that word, validating it. She talked about mourning with those who mourn and comforting those who stand in need of comfort. And we can't really do that if we don't make an effort to understand our brothers and sisters who deal with these things. And uh, then she kind of dropped that bombshell when she talked about uh, her own father's bout with mental illness and subsequent uh, suicide when talking about, the consequences mm-hmm. of untreated mental illness and what that can lead to. She talked about how that can lead to unfortunate issues like isolation, broken relationships, and other, and other forms of, of uh, self-harm. And that, uh, you know, things sombered up real quick. Like the, the mere discussion of suicide and how close that hit to home for her, that was super powerful and I believe super necessary in the context of this talk because again, suicide, mental illness, both of those things are already slightly stigmatized in the church, but the fact that she's so close to it and was able to voice that as a means of both healing and also as a means of you know putting it out there for the general church right. membership, I thought was seriously powerful. so many of uh, so many friends of mine who not only dealt with suicide but also suicide ideation spoke about just how powerful and significant it was to hear that voiced from the pulpit uh, by Sister Aborto. And, yeah, I just really appreciated. And I think the last thing I want to mention about the power of this talk, it really spoke to me about the power and necessity of raising up women's voices and people of color's mm-hmm. voices yes. and women of color's voices. Right. Because we wouldn't have gotten this talk from a Nicaraguan sister if that was not a thing we made an effort to do. Right like there are so many messages and so many perspectives that we are missing out on simply because our church leadership is not or sorry our church membership is not totally represented in our church leadership. Yeah. We would not have gotten this talk if we didn't pay attention to women of color and I just wanted to put that out there um you know before putting a button on my thoughts with this talk. What what do you think about her? Talk? What I
1: think th- there's a theological piece that needs to be explored here because I think there's this sort of cultural folklore in our culture as a church uh-huh. that talks about well God if you're if you're if you're righteous God will give you blessings and if you are bad God will give you suffering. Like the prosperity gospel. Yeah, yeah. Or even what gets called the pride cycle in the book of Mormon. Okay. Um, Can you say a little more about that? Basically this like, idea that God will bless people if they keep the commandments and, and then if they are wicked, then they fall apart. But part of what you what we have to look at is if you look at the narratives throughout scriptures, there's a lot of people who are faithful to God and have extreme suffering both internal and um, stuff that happens to them. Big time. People like Job, people like Paul, even people like Christ. He didn't have like a smiley, happy life. Right. He was the most perfect of all he was rejected, he was killed um he was you know just almost everything bad that could happen to him dead, yeah, and we have to realize that that um that we this is i think when she she goes back around this uh uh when she talked about the skepticism around other people's experiences, like we have to realize that if someone's suffering. We can't blame it like Job's friends did on some unrighteousness. Yeah, yeah. We have to just sit with them and realize, look, this stuff is real. And you can't make this simple, almost naive, innocent, childlike idea of, oh, God, well, it's like Santa Claus will reward you with gifts <laughs> if you're good. And he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're way blah 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 that's yeah. not what the god of the scriptures is is like mm-hmm. the god of the scriptures is suffering with us as one of us and you can see that most centrally in christ of course yeah but that this this changes this should change how we talk about mental illness mm-hmm. and realize look we shouldn't blame the person at all we should actually just understand and support and listen and be present with them right And not have these really simplistic theological problems come up that say, oh, look, you know, you're suffering because you were bad. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's another piece culturally to talk about is so many people apparently feel a pressure to put on this positive face of, oh, I've got this perfect family and this perfect life and this perfect everything. She did actually talk about that too. Yeah, and... That actually sets up everyone for failure because then everyone's faking it. Yeah. And then now I'm not faking it. I'm genuinely happy. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not putting on one face to the church and then another face at home. But there are people that, that feel pressure to Almost like the the world of Facebook, you have to make your life on Facebook look, right. look more glamorous than it is. <laughs> Perception's greater than reality, <laughs> and and that's something we have to be aware of. Like if we were all able to be vulnerable with each other, we would all be in a much better place. Yeah, definitely. And she
0: actually, uh, she she talked about how people who suffer from depression or anxiety or any other mental illness about how they distance themselves from other saints because they feel the pressure to fit some imaginary mold, Mm -hmm. you know, and how we have a responsibility to help them know and feel that they do indeed belong to us. Like you said, the world and our church would be a better place if we were able to talk more freely about this kind of stuff and didn't feel that pressure to fit that imaginary mold.
1: Yeah. And that's part of why I'm out as gay because of the protective factor for everyone else around me, you know being me being gay isn't actually a very interesting part of me it's not the most at all the most interesting part of me no but I'm still out as gay because I want everyone in the room to look at me and say oh look this guy doesn't quote fit in yeah but there's a place for him here and so everyone else is much safer and I think people will look at me and say oh if there's a place for Derek there's got to be a place for me definitely because no one is as weird or as out there as I am in terms of <laughs> the people who are likely to join the church. So yeah. hopefully I can make, make it safer for other people to be themselves.
0: Definitely. And I do want to point out one more thing that sister Borto said about, uh, about depression. She said, and I think this needs, this part needs to be said more often and more loudly. She, she said that depression is not the result of weakness or the consequence of sin. And then she said this bar that I really liked it thrives in it thrives in secrecy, but shrinks in empathy. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's who that comes from, but I just really liked that she put it out there and name with that depression, and you know all kinds of mental illnesses are not the result of sin or not the result of weakness right. Was there any other thing that you wanted to uh, talk about in this talk? No, sweet then uh let's move on to uh, Well, I mean, we could easily just finish off Women's Session with President Oaks' remarks and President Nelson's remarks.
1: Yeah, let's talk about those real quick.
0: Okay. So I think it'll be easier to talk about President Nelson's talk first, uh, even though he went after President Oaks. Mm -hmm. President Nelson throws me off every now and again with his remarks because after his remarks in the Women's Session, I was convinced he was a feminist like he said a lot of things that mm-hmm. i really vibe mm-hmm. with in terms of you know the women's roles in the church and also how important it is to believe women you know what i'm saying he condemned yeah. abuse mm-hmm. and stressed the importance of believing women and this goes back to that kind of empathy piece that sister aborto had already spoken of in fact that principle of validating people 's concerns can really extend not just to people who deal with mental illness but people who are mm-hmm. on the margins in general, people who are less conventional in thought, people who are you know black, brown LGBTQ or women in general. This sentiment of validating you know their concerns and validating their pain is ought to be central to our our desire to be more christ like however. What President Nelson said in this particular instance was the necessity of believing women. The only, and I don't even know if this is a fair criticism because this information is going to be available to everybody, but the only criticism I had of this talk was just the fact that the biggest perpetrators of things like not believing women or things like abusing women were folks who were not there at this women's meeting.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um I, I vibe with a lot of what President Nelson had to say. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed listening to his talk, and I was like speaking in real time with uh, with uh, some sisters about the talk as it was happening, and they really, really enjoyed it. But uh, that was just the one thing that I took that I took issue with was the fact that. Yeah, this is great information, but you're kind of preaching to the choir about this. We do appreciate President Nelson validating a very real concern that a lot of women have when it comes to being seen and being otherwise visible in the church or any space, really. But the people who need to hear that most, I feel, you know, we don't just need to validate the women. We also need to let the men know that this is a real thing. But like I said, this information is readily available to everybody. You know, you can read the talk on uh, churchofjesuschrist.org. But I think it would have been made more powerful if he said that in the presence of not just the women, but the men as well.
1: Yeah, I noticed that he, I think, and now the question of whether President Nelson is a feminist or not is almost irrelevant in light of the fact that the spirit speaking through him is feminist. Ah, right that's a whole bar because like he he's a prophet he's mm-hmm. literally a prophet there's going to be stuff that actually expands his knowledge that flows through him mm-hmm. right and i definitely think that the spirit's on the move here and within the container of president oaks the spirit really is really made some significant strides i, I don't think i've seen anything so powerfully attesting to the priesthood power of women Uh, spoken by a prophet of Ah, the church before. Yes. And he said things like, we all have direct access to God, which has very important implications for LGBTs. Big time. Like, we all have direct access to God. Mm -hmm. And he said that the heavens are equally open to, you know, women and men in the church who have been endowed by God's power. Yeah. I think that's important to notice. And I, I really think that the leaders are trying to Seed uh, as much ground as they can to to feminists within the current structures. Correct. Obviously, without changing things around ordination and leadership, uh-huh. they that's that's sort of off the table for them right now. Uh huh. But they're trying to do everything else they can. I think. Big time. Uh, Given this thing about witnessing, yeah. I think some of the changes around um, the way the bishopric bishopric is. Sort of being restructured And which uh, uh, Duties can be delegated uh-huh. Like apparently if I heard this right Now there's more Of a room for, for women to go To their Relief Society president For certain things that they would have gone to the bishop for Right Right. And I think that That really opens up some possibilities I I really want to see where this goes Because this is a, a footstep To something more and we're going to see more yeah. Big time, as do I. Like it's it's exciting stuff. And there are there are going to be people who say that that's not enough, and that's absolutely fair and valid, valid to say. Definitely. But this is this is where we are right now. For example, just to highlight on
0: that briefly, something that President Nelson said that I was able to appreciate in the moment, but can definitely see the criticism of, was that he said he felt regretful that people or that women in particular felt marginalized. Uh, Betrayed or abused Or felt sidelined Or disrespected Or misjudged And then But still there are women Who could rightfully say No we don't just feel that way That is the way it has been Right Like It is one thing to apologize Or to express regret That people feel a certain way But you've got to acknowledge That is not just their experience That might actually be The way things are set up Institutionally And you already said it You know They're trying to concede As much ground as they can Without you know Really I suppose sacrificing their own footing on power, but the fact that they're saying that much is a big step, and I and I do want to give that credit where Mm -hmm. it's due.
1: And the other side of the 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 sort of feeling uh, is is people who feel women who feel equal in the church. Yes, sir. And Kate Kelly um, had this really interesting article once a number of years ago. She said equality is not a feeling, and her point was speaking to other women who say they felt equal in the church yes you may feel equal but equality is a feeling and it's something that equality is not a feeling it's something that can be measured and right now when we measure it women are not equal in the church Mm. that was her point
0: and i think that needs to be heard definitely thank you for bringing that up anything else from president nelson's remarks here at the women's session that you want to bring up okay do you want to briefly touch on uh briefly touch on oak's just tease what you're going to be talking about? Yeah,
1: so I'm planning to to have some bonus content I'll record later that will go through the scriptures, that will really go through what I think is going on with Oaks. But just to say it briefly, oh, I don't know how I'm going to say this briefly, but as briefly as I can, <laughs> I think there's there's some positive things that, that Oaks conceded in his talk. Yes. I think he's making some steps, and you're going to say, well, they're baby steps, and maybe they're not even steps. But when you look at the riddle scale of homophobia that starts out with pity or it starts out with revulsion and pity and then moves to a little bit of tolerance and like coexistence. Mm-hmm. He I think went half a step in the right direction on the riddle scale of homophobia. Okay. From like a two to a two point five. Because he's now admitting things like, look, we need we need to actually treat LGBTs well. We need to not persecute them. We need to um you know, there's things we need to do better, and if if even Oaks can say that, yes. everyone should be saying that. Big everyone time. should perk up and say, "Look, we got to do better." Big time, um, especially given that this is a t- substantial change for Oaks. Mm-hmm. Another thing to notice is the um, the tension between love for God and love for neighbor that Oaks finds. I'll be talking about that a lot later, and I'll, I'll be going into the scriptures on this in my when I. Share my thoughts later But it's important to To notice that uh, The bottom line for me Is I don't think They're in conflict mm. I think his legal background Is trying to Get him to see things As as a balancing act Because that actually Is what the legal system Is about Balancing yeah. Rights of one group With the rights of another The rights of the majority With the rights of the minority the Balancing the rights of States versus individuals There's just a lot of Balancing acts That go into What uh, which is why I think the, the, the symbol for the justice system is a, is, a is, scale. A, is a scale, right? But I don't think that there's a tension here that needs to be balanced like in a trade-off or compromise. I really think that loving God is shown in loving your neighbor, and loving your neighbor counts as loving God. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the main thing to say here. And I think the, the other thing to talk about is intent. I think that Oakes is trying to do the right thing based on what he knows and what he has yeah it's a matter of how can we expand what he has access to like how can we make sure that he listens and uplifts the voice of lgbt people Mm. because he's in a position to do something yeah i'm not and i think that's kind of where where it needs to be and that's all i'm going to say about it for right now um personally i'm I may be an exception to this, but I'm not hurt by what he says. He he doesn't he. I have direct access to God. I don't need his permission to know that I am who I am, and I'm loved by Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I am. I and another thing to remember is that Oaks, in, in many ways, Oaks wasn't talking to LGBTs. He was talking about us and around us. I would love for him to talk to us. Even if he says the wrong thing, I'd rather, I I want him to talk to us and mm-hmm. have that accountability. Look me in the eye and tell me that I shouldn't have the same opportunities that straight people in the church have. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he can do that. Um, I wonder. Mm-hmm. I think just speaking to us and instead of talking about what not to do, I think so much of what what the, what this revolves around is they have this fixed idea of what gays should not do. Right. Like not get married, not have gay sex. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing about what we should do. I'm saying, well, if you're prophets, then you should have this access to uh, this large body of knowledge that you're claiming you have access to. Yeah. Tell us what to do, Yeah, right? And I think the fact that they're not doing that speaks volumes. It speaks that they don't really know what the next step is. Mm-hmm. They're in this holding pattern of they've got this received tradition from the fathers that says that that gay sex is wrong and that gay marriage is wrong and um, And then it's in, to talk about transgender issues as well. Mm-hmm. They have this received tradition that um, Sex assigned at birth is someone's gender and that's fixed and eternal and unchanging Which mm-hmm. is not it true and it's not even valid for people who have an intersex condition, right? Right. So I don't know where they're getting all this. But my point is, for 40 years, they've just they've really just said what not to do. Yes. I want to say, well, okay, if you think you're right about this, if you think you have all this knowledge, tell us what you think we should do. Yeah, what should we do? And what, what would that look like? Does it even make sense what you're telling us to do? Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I want to leave my thoughts on Oaks. What were your thoughts on Oaks?
0: See, I want to focus on the remarks that he made in um, – I think it was the Saturday afternoon session.
1: Oh, I want to talk about those too.
0: Okay. So I don't think the Twitter stake lit up the way it should have when Elder Oaks spoke because he spoke a lot about official doctrine. And, you know, I talk a lot about this as somebody who is, you know, looking for whatever possibilities and whatever ways we can talk around this particular issue of implementing policy that is not necessarily (sighs) ordained of God. Now, I just want to read so, like, so that the listener can get a feel for where I'm going with this, what Elder Oaks said during his talk specifically. He said, We can all wonder privately about circumstances in the spirit world or even discuss these or other unanswered questions in family or other intimate settings, but let us not teach or use as official doctrine what does not meet the standards of official doctrine. Right. Now, that to me, as somebody who has spoken a lot about official doctrine on this po- on this show many times before, that lit me up, especially hearing that from Oaks. And uh, just to briefly explain why, the church has a very specific process of how they determine what doctrine in the church is. Things have to be approved by the First Presidency. They have to go through the scrutiny of the Brethren, so you know, the Quorum of the Twelve, and it has to be put to the vote of the people. It's a three-step process through which official doctrine is determined. This has only happened six times in the church's history, the most recent one being the 1978 revelation allowing priesthood and temple access to members of African descent. So this is all to say that there are certain policies in the church, particularly this policy, These policies affecting members of the LGBTQ community that have not gone through this process but function as if they have. This is the primary comfort I get from being contrarian to these particular policies yeah. because when it comes to what official doctrine is, we actually don't have it with regard To um, members of the LGBTQ community You've said it yourself They've Mm. been telling us what not to do But even what not to do Is not necessarily backed up By our doctrine Now, to clarify for the listener, what is technically official doctrine according to the Church's standards is contained in the standard works. So the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine and Covenants, including Official Declarations 1 and 2. That is what our quote-unquote official doctrine of the Church is. And that can change at any time if we go through that process that I've outlined earlier. The First Presidency approval, the scrutiny of the Brethren, and the sustaining vote of the general membership of the Church. So it's not like it's Sola Scriptura or anything. We don't believe that everything that is or will be revealed is in our scriptures. We just believe that at the particular time in history, everything that is doctrine is in the scriptures and that can change at any time.
1: I just want to add a historical note to this. Yes, is, sir. Is the position that you're articulating is that of um, Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie. And that was the reason... And B. Brown. I'm yeah. just going to point that out. Several and the reason And the reason they did that is mostly... Because they wanted to throw under the bus all those stupid things that Brigham Young said, all the racist things that they need. to... <laughs> because what they're doing is saying, look, that stuff was never official doctrine. Right. Um, it was all stuff, even even stuff that's spoken over the pulpit. Yeah. And even stuff Big that's time. signed by the first presidency on on the uh, the state of black people in the church. Mm-hmm. That stuff was never approved by the people and never was official doctrine according to that definition of doctrine. Right. And I think that should be a guiding light to what's going to happen 40 years from now when people Mm -hmm. look back at what Oak said and they'll say, well, forget what Oak said. That wasn't official. That wasn't, you know, I think that's sort of the logic behind that. Yeah. Um, There, cause there are certain things that will be sifted out due to time and the spirit, a lot of these statements will no longer be quoted and no longer be cited as binding. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to have some grace and humility, which is why I love the fact that that President Oaks himself expressed yes. a lot of humility mm-hmm. and grace and sort of a tentative approach to this. He said there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Questions around what happens to a man sealed to two women Unfortunately, he blew that off kind of as a joke. Yeah, yeah, um, which was not okay. <laughs> yeah, not a not not his best moment. But his point behind that is, there's a lot that we don't know about about the spirit world. There's a lot that we don't know about the resurrected world. In fact, there's a lot we don't know. Basically, I don't know if I'm going to get in tr- get in trouble for saying this, but there's a we basically don't know anything about the plan of salvation for women. Hmm. Because we don't know basically anything about Heavenly Mother.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we know about the plan of salvation, how to get there, right? But we don't know what it looks like. Right. We don't know what Heavenly Mother's life, exalted and resurrected life, is like at all. Right, right. And so if we don't know what the plan of salvation looks like for half the church, how do we even claim that we know what it looks like for LGBTs? Mm-hmm. Which is what he tried to do in his second speech. I wish he would have had the same grace and the same humility and the same sort of cautious approach to this (laughs) rather than this bold idea of, oh, we got this. We already know this. We've got this fixed body of knowledge that we know so clearly and we can say with such uh, presumption and confidence stuff that he wouldn't have said Mm -hmm. in, in the Saturday afternoon's talk.
0: Yeah. I'll just say, I've never been so conflicted by the messages of Oaks. Like, I was screaming hallelujah during this talk, Mm -hmm. this particular moment in this talk, and then I heard his talk during the general women's session. I'm just like, what is you doing, Oaks? What is you doing? Just, But, like, I'm really glad he gave me Saturday afternoon Because, you know, they say fight fire with fire. I'm going to fight oaks with oaks. Next time he says something that I don't necessarily vibe with or I can't get a a spiritual confirmation Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. or that is not measuring up to this definition of official doctrine, as he says, I'm just going to quote this piece from this Saturday afternoon session of his talk. Let us not teach or use as official doctrine what does not meet the standards of official doctrine. Like, I've been doing that for several years now. But to hear oaks say that is going to be tremendous for the use of the saints in the future.
1: I think so. I think so.
0: That's all I want to say about Oaks. Do you want to say anything else before we move on to Elder Johnson?
1: No, other than I think that part of this is, is the spirit is speaking through Oaks. Yeah. And Oaks is still fully human at the same time. And so both of those come out, right? Both of those can be true. And that's, both of those are true for me. Sometimes I'm going to say stuff that's wrong. Like, I, I don't want anyone to say, well, Derek is right about this one thing, so he has to be right about this other, because no, right. you need to go back to the sources and confirm whatever I said. Big time. Because a number of the st- things that I say are going to be s- speaking out of my limitations as well. Definitely. And my own biases. So, Definitely. So some things I say are going to be spot on and some aren't. And that's the nature of this mortal journey. We need to afford everybody that grace, especially
0: our leaders. I really like what uh, Bishop Simpson says a bunch. He says, we we have to be able to extend the same grace that we would want Christ to extend to us when it comes to, you know, being critical or extolling people's virtues, whatever Mm -hmm. the case is. Mm -hmm. And I've really made an effort to do that. It's one reason I can still say that I like Oaks while not necessarily agreeing with a lot of what he has to say. I'm willing to extend that grace even though I do view
1: a lot of his remarks to be the most problematic of most mm-hmm. leaders. And the other thing I want to say is that this was said in regards to the Supreme Court. Um they had a an uh there were arguments earlier this week that touched directly on, you know, my ability to hold a, a job or should I be dis- you know, discriminated against in terms of housing or job or anything like that. Yeah and someone said the supreme court isn't ruling on the humanity of lgbt people they're ruling on their own humanity oh and i think president oaks he's he's a a lawyer and a judge himself yeah there's a sense in which he feels like he can make rulings but he cannot rule on my dignity mhm he can only rule on his whole bar so let's go ahead and move on to
0: my favorite talk of conference, my MVP talk, which is Elder Peter Johnson Yay. speaking in the Sunday afternoon session. Representing. Representing big time. Let me just tell you, I actually fell asleep during the Sunday afternoon session, but I had conference on. He woke me up. Wow. Like the sound of his voice <laughs> legit woke me up. Now, for those of you who don't know, President or sorry, Elder Johnson is the first African-American 70 to speak in general conference. So let me just go over what he spoke about uh, briefly. Oh, it was so beautiful. It really was beautiful. Um, His talk is entitled, The Power to Overcome the Adversary, and he spent the introduction of the talk talking about our identity as heavenly children, setting us up for how the adversary's efforts are directed at getting us to ignore this truth uh, through the three D's, which he highlights as, uh, as, as deception, distraction, and discouragement discouragement. yes sir now for deception he used the story of moses's vision and his subsequent contact with satan i found this instructive for a couple of reasons but for uh, his particular purposes what he wanted to highlight was moses had just finished receiving an incredible vision from our father in heaven that he was shown all things that is the that is the that is the words used in uh, moses's account of this vision He was shown all things and told that he was a son of God, like God addressed him as his son. And then after this great vision, which Moses had to be basically translated to see, Satan came. Moses was immediately able to behold him with his normal eyes. And Satan was like, Moses, son of man, worship me. So there's two insidious things about this. One is that he's trying to deceive Moses by telling him he's just a man, son of man, and he's also trying to... um, Well, the whole point is that Satan was trying to make it difficult for Moses to recognize who he was. He had just been told, he was just revealed that he was a son of God, and Satan tried to convince him otherwise, that he was not a son of God, but rather a son of man. So that was the deception piece. Mm -hmm. And then he spoke of uh, distractions. He talked about how social media... He spoke of social media when talking about distractions highlighting their use but also reminding us not to be casual in our use of technology and the prompting that i received was that if my use of technology isn't drawing me closer to the savior helping me accomplish his work or helping me realize the measure of my creation then i need to reconsider my use of technology then he spoke of uh, discouragement and he chose to focus I thought this was interesting focus on comparison the danger of comparison when he uh, spoke of discouragement and he reminded us that that we can't let people steal our happiness through comparison I thought in juxtaposition to social media this was particularly powerful because a lot of the comparison that we do is to people on social media and you spoke of this earlier there's a huge danger in posting just our best selves and putting our best feet forward on social media so the deception or the Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The trouble for us is that we are too often comparing the worst of ourselves with the best of other people that we see on social media, and that can really discourage us. That can really make us feel worthless, that we're not children of God or that we're not fulfilling the measure of our creation. But Elder Johnson reminded us of the inseparability of the first and second commandment when he told us that... One of the ways we can overcome the three D's was to remember the first and great commandment and that through it, our capacity to love not just others, but also ourselves would increase and that we would Mm -hmm. be able to see ourselves and others as sons of God. So then he spends the balance of the talk talking about the ways in which we can overcome the three D's. And these are mostly Sunday school answers. He talks about reading our scriptures every day, every day, every Every day. day. Yes. And then praying every day, every day, every day. And then he talks about partaking the sacrament every week, every week, every week. That is definitely a pictograph on Pinterest. I'm calling it right now. It was probably made that way right after the talk, but I'm sure that's going to be a shirt at the black LDS legacy conference this time next year. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to that. But, um, I really like this bar he closed out with. I'm just going to read it real quick. He said, he gave us a promise that we will have the ability with the strength of the Lord to overcome the deceptive practices of the adversary, to minimize distractions that limit our divine potential, and to resist the discouragement that diminishes our capacity to feel the love of our Heavenly Father and His Son. We will come to fully understand who we are as sons and daughters of God. Now I'm just gonna put it out there that simply reading this talk doesn't do it justice. Like his voice and his style of delivery gives his words a certain gravitas that is really hard to get by just reading his words. I noticed that.
1: As I was listening, I thought to myself, Oh, if I were just reading these words, I yeah. would probably just skim over them because he's yeah. not saying anything substantially different than right. someone else could have said. Right. But the way he said it, I think there's something that penetrates to the core yes. of what we need to hear. Yes. And the way he said, it. and also just to see a black man with Big his time. voice saying it, Big time. I think registered and uh, and resounded through my soul in just a, a deeper manner. Definitely.
0: Like he's already a brilliant speaker, but like you know. His voice and his style of delivery, like these truths, as you said, nothing special, but they hit me, they hit different coming from him. Yeah. And you know, obviously, for me as a black man, seeing an African American speak. In general conference, like I was already rejoicing at that, but hearing somebody speak like this, this was very reminiscent mm-hmm. of a Southern mm-hmm. preaching style almost like not necessarily something that is loud and boisterous, but something that is quietly dignified and solemn in a way yep. that I have not heard mm-hmm. spoken in mm-hmm. conference before, part- especially from a, let alone from anybody, but let alone from a black man. And uh, that was just very powerful to me. So I'm just going to put it out there. If you listen to any of these talks, if you can only listen to one, Make it Elder Johnson's. The words are just going to yeah. hit different yeah. if you by listening to this talk.
1: I want to say one thing about this comparison piece, yes, sir. Uh, and and discouragement because LGBTs are facing a lot of discouragement, and I think there's some. I'm, what I'm going to say is kind of tricky to say. Okay, but there's a there's a place for comparison. And there's a place for not for comparison. I think All that right. the people who are in decision making roles who have the power to make change yeah they need to look and they need to make comparisons and they need to see what's actually going on yeah because homophobia isn't really an attitude it's a disparity Mm. right people say oh i love i love i'm i'm full of love i'm not homophobic but it's not about your internal attitude like how you feel about me doesn't actually make a difference right in terms of, of of a disparity I think there's so it's not just an attitude um it's it's a disparity it's a measurable difference but in my ability to access the plan of salvation Mm. and access the covenant path Mm. and that needs to be named by the people who can do something about it yes but on the ground like there's a place for like putting that to the side and say look i am not going to compare myself to straight people Mm-hmm. Because they're not as good anyway. I should, say, <laughs> I should say, but yeah, just put that out there. Um, and no, you have to have a little bit of arrogance and narcissism in order to survive mm-hmm. all the awful stuff the world does to us. That's right. the whole point of the gay pride movement. Mm-hmm. I think there's a place to, to say, look, we've got something great here that that straight people don't have. But what I'm what I'm saying is that that yeah, comparing comparing yourself to straight people will cause a lot of problems because the plan of salvation looks different for us. The, right. co- the, the covenant path has got to look different for us. So if we try to measure ourselves by the standards of, Oh, does my life look like a straight person's life? We are going to come up failing. Yeah. You're going to be disappointed. And we are going to have a lot of problems. And I'm here yeah. to say, look, the covenant path isn't the same mm-hmm. for everyone. And that's part of our doctrine. And I hate to bring this up, but imagine a a, a, a little kid who dies at six or seven their covenant path is different. Yeah. They don't have baptism. They don't need baptism. Right. As Moroni uh, chapter 8 says. And so look, their covenant path is different. And I, I don't know how it will turn out when we get more light and knowledge on this. Mm-hmm. But the covenant path for LGBT people can't be as Simple, oversimplified to the point of oh, just marry someone you're not attracted to and identify as a gender that you're not. That is, right. God doesn't ask that of straight people or right. cis people. Right. God's not going to ask that of us. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to to say, look, the covenant path is individualized. We all have to take the steps ourselves. Yeah. And we all have to make the covenants that are appropriate for us. Yeah. And I think that will help us avoid discouragement. Excellent. Yeah, so that's, that's all I a- wanted to say about. Elder Johnson's talk.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, is there any other talks you want to discuss before we move on to the prayer roll?
1: I wanted to briefly talk about or just mention President Nelson's amazing talk. I think it was Sunday afternoon about all the good work that we're doing for uh, our neighbor. Yeah. Because this is the central centru- the central, the part of, of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to love our neighbors as ourselves. The second great commandment that Oaks is wrestling with. Uh-huh. But this shows that there's a counterbalance to, to President Oaks right here in President Nelson. Look, loving your neighbor is the central piece of the Christian walk on earth. Yeah. Right. That's how we will, people will know that we are followers of Christ is our love for one another.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I just
1: wanted to name that out there and to say that was a great talk too. Yeah. Um, And how, I wonder how much progress we could make if all of that love and compassion and effort and time and money got put on uh, looking at the issues for people of color and Mm. for women and for LGBTs, people with disabilities. Uh, Yeah.
0: I was actually talking about this very thing last night to some people at the Sound Education Conference uh, here in Boston. You know, we talked about just how, yeah, we're doing a lot of good. In fact, that part of Nelson's talk actually traveled well outside the church uh, in terms of, you know, the humanitarian things we were doing. But I do fear, as a member of the church, and you know, so do these folks, that a lot of the good work we're doing is sometimes being overshadowed by the not-so-good work we are doing within these certain communities, or work that we're just not doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, folks on communities on the margins, whether these be you know people of color, LGBTQ folks, or people who just don't fit this quote-unquote imaginary mold that uh, that Sister Roberto was talking about.
1: I want to say that this is an interesting time because when we look at America uh, and talking about our like public relations and our missionary work, we're in a tight spot. Yes, and sir. I think the longer we delay doing the right thing for LGBTs, the more of a problem we're going to have. Yes, sir. In the American sphere of decent people you know, <laughs> having a positive view of us. Because the the fact that we're running into is... For the most part, Americans have shifted on this issue. Yes, sir. Not everyone; it's not not all fixed. But right, we're at a point where Americans love and know gay people more than they love and know Mormons, hmm. and that should change everything in our in our calculations. If we're trying to do any type of work in America, and you come out as anti-gay, you're you're already losing. Yeah. Right. Americans don't love and trust Mormons. And Americans are starting to to love and trust and know gay people. Most there are more gay people than Mormons in the United, in, in the world and in the United States. Mm. And when you look at that, it shifts the balance of power in a sense. That our church can no longer afford to to do what they did in the seventies and eighties and just be anti gay. Right. And get no pushback for it. Right. It's gonna cost more and more, the longer they delay doing the right thing for my people. Yes, sir. And I think that that's something that they're waking up to, right? I think that's that's something they're realizing. And so as we do work for other people, it will. I think a similar thing must have happened must have been true around race in the '60s and '70s in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Once once people in the U.S. started changing, then uh, I mean, you look at the timing
0: of the whole thing. Yeah. Like- you're shocked it took them that long like it should have happened 10 years prior to that but like that was a very interesting time in our history that i couldn't like when you consider what was happening the fact that they held on to that policy for yeah. as long as they did is actually kind of impressive
1: it's interesting because it's not like they were all backwards like B. Brown tried to do it in 1969 he tried right. to give black people the priesthood and he was overruled by by the other authorities right i'm like look no we've got people uh, who are ahead of their time mm-hmm. Saying that this ch- change needs to be made So that's the Let's let's go back to that Right That's my other Like I said about the Temple recommend uh, interview questions Look if If general authorities like Hubie Brown can say Look this needs to change That's not apostasy Right 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 And, and when I say something that's similar um, That's not apostasy either Right Right. I, that's why I said go back and look what the authorities do look at their life to see what affiliate means look at their life yes. to see what apost- apostasy means look at their life to see what because um, if, if they're doing all these things well I can do it too yes big time
0: well I think that is
1: a that's all we I had for the talks there's just so much more we could say and we, we might come back to these in a, in future weeks but thanks for sticking with us definitely definitely I had two things from Colossians let me put on um, the first thing is the Christ hymn in Colossians 1. And I just love this. And I need to just back up and say, in the scholarly world, there is a, um, a disagreement as to exactly who wrote Colossians, whether it was Paul, whether it was an associate of Paul, I, um, whether it was someone who wrote in Paul's name after his death, carrying on his teachings, that I'm not going to get into. But just so people are aware of that. That there's a complex discussion around authorship of a number of of the texts attributed to Paul in the New Testament. But I just love the Christ hymn in in Colossians. It could have been a pre-existing hymn that was known and adapted by the author as he wrote to the to the Christians in Colossae. So here's what it is. Um, chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. All right. He, meaning Christ, he is the image of the unseen God, the firstborn of all creation, because all things in heaven were created by him in heaven and upon the earth, what is seen and unseen, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and all things are held together by him. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have his fullness reside in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And there are a few things I want to pull out from this. This is from Tom Wayment's translation of the New Testament. Okay. One is, if we want to know what God is like, we look. There, there's only one place to look. What was Jesus like during his ministry here on earth especially? Because that is the image of the invisible God according to uh, verse 15. And not only is he the firstborn of all creation, but then he's also the head of the church. So the first part of this poem talks about creation and the second talks about the church, which is a sense, a new creation. All right. And I love the fact that uh, of the centrality here, the centrality and supremacy of Jesus Christ. I think that's, that's really all it is that, I mean, uh, culturally there's a whole bunch of baggage around this, but the centrality of Christ should be the touchstone for every question we have, like, especially around LGBTs. I think when you look at president Oaks's talk, I can't imagine uh, Jesus, you know, the character of Jesus phrasing it like oaks did Mm -hmm. right i think there there would be a different a different outcome there and just looking at the way that jesus reached out to marginalized people was willing to to divest his own privilege to take upon the sufferings of others that's the god i worship Mm -hmm. that is literally the god i worship and that's the god that organizes my whole life right so let's talk about um i just love how it ah. how everything centers on him that he's before all things he created all things and all things are for him and through him that that god uh reconciles all things to himself through christ uh, making peace through the blood of his cross i just love that that it focuses on the cross too which is an instrument of roman execution that now god uh basically played a trick on satan here that something that looks awful and looks like a failure actually gets to be an instrument of reconciliation. Mm. Any thoughts on that?
0: No. Like honestly, last week I uh, like I totally forgot that uh, Colossians was part of the Philippians reading and I didn't end up reading Colossians for oh. uh, last week's come follow me and oh, okay. I was not in any way prepared to discuss come follow me today, but I'm so oh. glad that you were.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say and and really there's there's a gap in the Come Follow Me schedule of two weeks because of conference. So I thought, well, let's do Philippians last week and Colossians this week. Uh-huh. Um, one other thing to point out is that Colossians was written to address some type of false teaching that may have been threatening uh, the Colossian Christians, but we don't know exactly what that is other than Paul speaking against it. Um, uh-huh. It's It looks like they could have been starting to... Um, to keep certain feasts it could have been some greco-roman polytheism creeping back in some other philosophies creeping in but basically um there's that then also there's also some household codes which are similar to the ones in ephesians okay and we can come back to those some other week when we when we talk about uh household okay but then i wanted to look at some of his concluding remarks in 15 uh no i'm sorry in uh, in verses chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, Greet the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the church that meets in her house. So, first of all, we've got a woman church leader here. I just want to point that out. Okay. Then, 16, it says, And when the letter has been read to you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea also. So, basically, The author wrote one letter to the Colossians and one letter to the Laodiceans and said to the Colossians, take your letter, the one that we're reading right here, share it with the Laodiceans and take the one that I wrote to the Laodiceans and make sure you read that also. What's interesting about that is we don't have a letter to the Laodiceans. There's lost scripture here. And I think a lot of people in these evangelical worlds think that the Bible is complete and that we have everything that that Paul ever wrote But if you look at the way he coordinated it these two epistles have equal authority Mm. one of them we have and one of them we don't Mm. So it's not like something lesser with lesser authority dropped away, right and where I want to go towards a practical application of this is uh, dealing with lost scriptures, which really is is a, a great place to talk about the Book of Mormon a scripture that was lost and then recovered but what I want to talk about is my Greek professor when I was in undergrad his name was Norman Beck and he taught people in a very interesting way and he asked he had so many Bible believing Christians in his classes and he asked them a question basically mostly Protestants and he asked them this question he said imagine this contrived scenario where you are in a building, and for some reason it, there's the last copy of the Bible in existence on earth is in this building, like all the others are gone or destroyed. There's only one copy of the Bible left. And in this building is also a person who uses a wheelchair that can't get out of the building without help in case of a fire. And now imagine that there's a fire in this building. It's it's really contrived, right? But imagine there's this fire, and you can only... Ch- pay, take one thing out of the building. You can only rescue one thing. You either rescue the only copy of the Bible or you rescue this actual person made in God's image because they can't get out without your help. And he asked this question and so many of the students were tortured and they were con- they had to contort and they really were uncomfortable about wow. this. Now, I'm not I was not uncomfortable by this question at all because I am clearly I love the Bible so much, but that's going in the up in flames. If I have to choose a person over it. Yeah. No question, no reservation, no hesitation. You know, scriptures can be replaced. People can't be replaced. Right. Lives are valuable. Like God could just dictate the whole Bible again if he wanted to. Yeah. But you can't, you can't replace a person. Mm-hmm. I think that col- that really influences how we look at women people of color, LGBTs, people with disabilities, people who are struggling with mental illness in the church we have to look at prioritizing the person made in God's image over that a text which is ink on paper that points to God but is not God and and the kids wrestling with this question just were so so trapped with with the Bible now if I were in that position I'm like okay I'm just gonna have to live the rest of my life with what's in my head that I know of the Bible Already, Like, what do I have memorized? What do I know? I'm going to live with that, right? Which, which testifies to the fact that we should also know, also know the Bible well enough that, that if for some reason we don't have it, we actually have it in our head. But that's kind of my approach to, to sort of, and I would say what Dr. Beck taught about the Bible should be similar to what we teach about general conference talks or the proclamation on the family. Like if we had to save a person, or save that text. You know where I'm going, right? Yeah. I think that's just a powerful way of of. I think that's kind of the way Christ taught too. He always well, that's kind of the point. Put you know what people what I'm in a in a tough spot like and make, the, made the, them make a decision.
0: Right. And the whole point of Christianity seems to be missed by saving the Bible over a whole person. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Just that that seems like. I mean, I get the point of the thought I thought exercise, but that is a I mean, that is a rather unfortunate thing that people had to wrestle with that for so much. I feel like the people who had to wrestle with it really don't get
1: the point of Christianity. I think after they wrestle with it for a while, hopefully they ended up getting Dr. Beck's point that, look, Christianity isn't about protecting a text. Mm -hmm. It's about living out God's ways here on earth. You know, and being being what Christ would be to others and finding Christ in other people. Right. And so that's kind of all I had to say about Colossians. All
0: right. Cool. Thank you for sharing. Well, then, we'll go ahead and we'll move on. I think neither of us have too much to say about the prayer roll for this week. We had the same thing, and our Creating Christ-like change looks like it's going to be relatively short as well. So for those of you who didn't hear... A young man was ejected from the NAMAC, the National History or the National Museum of History and Culture. Gosh, I never get that right. African-American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Young man got kicked out for spitting on black people at that museum. So, you know, justice was served and was swift. But the fact that we're having this happen in one of the most sacred spaces in America for black people is rather unfortunate. That time that I went down there for uh, the conference, uh, the Black LDS Legacy Conference in DC, that time we went down there, there were people wearing MAGA hats in the building. <sighs> now, feel however you want to about you know our current president or about that in general, but doing that in that particular space is intentionally provocative and problematic. Like free speech is one thing, but. Doing something to say, I have power to disrespect you even in your space is exceedingly problematic. So I just wanted to put it out there that we as a nation have quite a ways to go that this is still a problem. That people are willingly disrespecting black people in spaces intended for them. A space that is sacred for them and... Um, you know, that had to happen at all, that we're having this conversation in the first place.
1: Yeah, I just want to point out, I've been to this museum twice, and both times are really, it, it, is, a, it is a temple. It is yeah. a temple. It is a very sacred place. They They have Emmett Till's casket there. I yeah. mean, that's the type of place this is. This is the type of place that I imagine that black Americans will come from all over America and make a pilgrimage to D.C. just to see this museum. Yeah. There's just so much here. This is this is a very sacred place that needs to be respected. Yeah. It needs to be respected um or else you will replicate all the horrors that are documented in the museum. Yep. So I want to ask like what would you have done if you had a white middle schooler spit on you at the museum when you were there? I would have gone to jail. Cuz that kid would have caught these
0: hands. Like if you're old enough to disrespect somebody like that, you're old enough to get messed up. Like I would like to believe I would never lay my hand on a child, but honestly, if a child gets away from you and disrespects me like that, in that space, I wanna make sure they know not to do it again. I think I could yell at a child and get away with that, but at the very least, I I can't say with total confidence I wouldn't smack that child.
1: Well, and another thing is that if I understand it right, they were on a school trip. And yeah, there's like on a there's that trip. layer of the responsibility like if you're going to bring kids, if yes. you're going to bring white kids to this, yes. you need to completely uh explain them what this is before you go there. Big time. Right? And that's when these You need uh, to unpack this and tell them th- look where you're going to be, you need this is what you need to do. Um this is you, how you need to behave. And some some adult there didn't do that. Right.
0: That was the same thing that happened with these mega hat wearing kids, like somebody brought them there on a school trip and they were wearing those hats. Now, while they may have the right to wear those hats in that space, the fact that those teachers didn't counsel them against that or remove them directly after their refusal to take those hats off says volumes about what that teacher valued at that particular time. Like, you value free speech more than you value the respect of a whole people's humanity when you know those people are being deliberately provocative. No, like we're not doing that today. Yeah, and it's, it's really valuing white comfort over black safety. Over black lives. Yeah. Like over black humanity, black safety. You're totally mm-hmm. right. So we're just going to, uh, like justice came to that young man, so we're going to pray for him. Just like, let him know that you know as justice is coming, hopefully he'll see the error of his ways and make a 180 turn, start respecting humanity. I don't know, but uh, that, that's the person we're putting on the prayer roll today. So with that, Derek, do you have a creating Christ-like change that we can share?
1: Yeah, I want to talk about prayer because there's a power in prayer. um, And it's not just the power of requesting something from God and God giving it to you. There's something that's centering and grounding about prayer that allows you to tap into the core of who you are and your relationship with God. And once you've tapped into that, it can be hard for someone else to dislodge it. And I think for those of us who are in a marginalized position in the church, prayer is one of the most powerful things we can do uh, for ourselves and for those around us. Praying for, um, and I think that's where it's, we, it's, it's totally valid to pray for President Oaks, right? Um, and p- let's pray for the health and longevity of, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, that's <laughs> that's up there. That is sacred work right there. Yeah. Um, we can pray for, we can pray. I mean, God has promised us that, you know, if we need something. We should ask for it. That's the whole start of the restoration right there. But praying, um, especially praying through and with the prayers that are in the scriptures, such as the Psalms, is very, very helpful. Um for us to build a sense of resilience that changes the space around us. I just want to bring up uh, Psalm 42 really mm-hmm. quickly. This is, a, this is a very interesting psalm. I'll, I'll, I'll quote the first verse in Hebrew, which is, Kei al, al afikei mayim, ken elohim, which probably the only word there you know is elohim. But in English, it's as the deer... Um, longs for rivers of waters so also my soul longs after you O god I just find that so beautiful in part because when you look at the Hebrew there's an interesting gender play here the dear ayal is masculine and the the verb ta'arog here is feminine and I forgot to say that verbs in Hebrew are gendered they have to match with their subject in gender and number and person, right? So here you have a a third person feminine singular verb that gets paired with a subject that's masculine. I find find this very beautiful because you've got this gender non conforming deer right here in the scripture, this deer who's whose who's identified as masculine now cries out with the spirit of a woman, right? I just find that so powerful. There's room for not gender, nonconforming people, whether you're nonconforming in terms of your orientation or in terms of your gender identity or anything in between. That's actually what gets celebrated by the author of scripture. And it's that voice that God listens to. When you look at later on in this Psalm, um, this, this, you've got this persecution and hunting motive going on, that the deer is running away from from a predator or something like that. I think that is the voice that God hears, that God hears those who cry out from the margins, right? And I think there's something powerful about calling out to God from your situatedness and your positionality in this world. And God loves to hear the prayers of the oppressed, God respects the cries just like the the blood of Abel cried out from the ground our blood cries out from the ground and i think that's that's something that's kind of where i want to leave this prayer can change things and in so, in some cases it might be the only thing that can change things
0: all right then powerful stuff derek thank you for sharing with that let's go ahead and wrap uh, wrap things up derek you got any housekeeping
1: yeah i just want to invite everyone to share this if you uh if you get some benefit from this uh this podcast please share it with others that you think and you know will derive some benefit from it as well because we're here uh, for you we're not here for us but we want to make sure that that we help out people where they are yes and that this message gets to those that will benefit from it so thank you so much for your support thank you guys very much we'll see you next week bye